Good evening, Fellowship College. As y'all are coming in, and we're excited to worship you guys tonight. In the snow and the cold weather that's outside. Let's stand. Let's sing praises this evening.
right, y'all can take a seat. Y'all can take a seat. It's good to see you guys. Hey, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. What do y'all want to hear first, good news or bad news? I'm the same way. Get the bad news out of the way. Here's the bad news. Y'all are going to be so devastated, so sad. It's going to completely affect your schedule. Next week, we will not have service because of the Super Bowl. I know y'all were all planning to come. All of you guys, all 16 of you that showed up last year are so sad right now, but we're going to make it through. We'll be back stronger than ever the week after. So no, no service, but the good news is the good news is we got lots of stuff for you guys to sign up for tonight. First, anyone here trying to do that ring by spring life? You know what I'm talking about. Come on. I know y'all are doing it. That ring by spring life. Well, you know, if you're kind of feeling that, you're working towards that, you're, you're seriously dating or, or about to get engaged or you are engaged, sign up for a merge. There's only a couple spots left. This is, it truly is a great way my wife and I, we went through this uh, before we got engaged. We actually led a group last year, and it's, it's such a good way to kind of to ask those hard questions and say, hey, am I ready to get married? And so if you're, if you're on that ring by spring track, okay, like this is where you need to be, sign up for merge, probably talk to your significant other about it first, ladies. Don't just sign up your boyfriend, okay? That happens all the time. Don't do that. Talk about it, sign up together, all right? Sound good? Secondly, we don't have a link for you right now, but this week we'll be texting, we'll be putting it on our social media, but we have something uh, special for this semester called Discover Discipleship. And what that's gonna look like is we wanna train any of you guys and girls who, who want to go and make disciples of the people in your fraternity, sorority, dorms, apartments, clubs, like wherever you are, if you're like, man, I wanna, I wanna make disciples, or maybe you're already making disciples in these places, and you just want someone to kind of walk alongside you, kind of show you what that looks like, give you practical, hands-on wisdom, advice on, on what it looks like to make disciples, or maybe you're just curious why we even have this call to go make disciples. Trust me, sign up for this. It's gonna be Sunday nights, Sunday nights starting in two weeks. It's gonna be in this room right here before service. It'll be like 5.45 to 6.45. A link will be going out this week. You don't wanna miss it. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna continue to worship together. We're glad you're here. Father, we just thank you for, for tonight, Lord. Thanks that your spirit is, is here with us, that we aren't just singing words that we've memorized. We aren't just opening up a 2,000-year-old textbook but that everything we do is, is, is centered around your actual presence with us, an actual relationship with you, Jesus. And so would you just continue to be at the center of, of everything we sing tonight, everything we hear tonight, Lord, and we, would we leave here changed? So we love you and we praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
followers in the room, I think it is a good practice for us to be reminded of our need for a Savior, to acknowledge that. And we need a Savior because we have sin. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I still have sin in my life, even though I became a Christian well over a decade ago. There's still sin that creeps in that I need to confess. And so um, we're going to do that tonight. We're going to pause for just a second confess that sin. Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And Psalm 32, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So let's go before the Lord in confidence that he will forgive our sin. Take time right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Confess that sin to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. our sin and our need for a Savior. There's good news on the other side of that. First John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 103, David says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Church, if you are in Christ, you can celebrate this evening and every single day that the sins that you have in your life are completely erased. They're forgotten as far as the east is from the west because Jesus paid for those sins on the cross. It's nothing that we have done, but it's all in Christ and in Christ alone that we have redemption. And so that's why we sing. That's why we sing tonight, every single night. And so we're gonna continue to sing this song, Lord, I need you because it's true every single day. So let's stand together and let's, let's finish singing this song. I hope that you sing it in that light.
your son to become our savior, to be the propitiation that we needed, God. God, the works and righteousness that we could not do, we could not gain on our own, you sent Jesus to gain those, and so we can rest in assurance of that this evening. Thank you for your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good evening, Fellowship College. Uh, my name is Garland, and uh, I actually, I wasn't scheduled to teach tonight. It was supposed to be uh, Tad Moore, who is the director of our student ministry here in Fayetteville. Um, he was ready to go. Uh, he was supposed to be teaching, and yesterday, about 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, Tad texted me and our team and said, somebody better get a backup sermon ready, because his wife, who's who was 37 weeks pregnant, she was like, he's like, we're going. We're going to the hospital. And uh, later on, he texted us the pictures, and so sure enough, they had the little baby. And so Tad, if you know Tad, they had their baby yesterday, uh, Tad and Christian, so we're super excited for them. Three weeks early, this little five-pound, 11-ounce Arden is here, and, uh, and we're excited uh, for him. Alden's his name. And so um, if you know Tad, you can text him. Uh, I'm sure they're not sleeping right now at the hospital, just trying to figure out what's going on. So yeah, everybody text him if you have his number, uh, he would appreciate that right, right now. So what that means is uh, I'm pinch hitting here on like extremely short notice. Uh, and so I, I came up here yesterday, I was like, I guess I can figure out a, a sermon for what to do here. And normally when I got like lots of time to kind of work on a, on a talk, I'll, I'll try to put together like, you know, there's the text itself. Then I try to put the illustrations or the stories or the things that kind of make the anecdotes that make it kind of easier to work through and easier to hear. But I didn't have any time for that this time. So all we're gonna get, what we're gonna do tonight is we're just gonna get into the text, we're gonna look at the passage, and we're gonna see if it can just teach us. And some of you may be going like, good, I don't think you're all that funny anyway. Let's just get to the text anyway. So that's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna just get into this text and see what it has to say for us. I'm actually kind of excited uh, to do this uh, with y'all. So before we do, just, just for, for me, just take a breath. I'm gonna ask you, turn to the person next to you, answer this question. I was, at, I, uh, was talking about this with some people the other day, so I wanna know what you think. If you could have dinner, like an extended dinner, with one person from history, who would it be? Turn to the person next to you, answer the question. You got one minute. I'm texting Tad what he's missing here. I'm taking a picture of all you guys. So this is, uh, Tad, I'm taking a video. You should be here right now, but instead you're at the hospital with your new baby and not here. Huh? You want to go, there's got to be something from history, but I'm going to do it with you. All right, Tad, I'm going to send this to him. He's going to hate that. All right, here we go. Let's get to work. Uh, there's also probably my staff team, I bet. I bet my staff, our staff team right now probably has a bet on how long I will go having no prep. And so don't, that doesn't count. This little discussion doesn't count against my time, okay? So I bet we're gonna go long tonight. So like, buckle up, here we go. One of you's excited for that. Um, if you think about it, um, both, the, 
both kind of the traditional kind of culture or worldview, maybe reflected more in our conservative agenda, and our more progressive worldview and culture expressed maybe more in the, the liberal agenda tends to be, they both offer a vision of what, what society should look like, what culture should look like. And we hear them every four years giving this vision of what a better or a more just or a more successful or thriving culture should be. And sure, the, the, the more traditional culture focuses more on individual responsibility and you know, family and country, and the more progressive uh, culture tends to focus more on social issues and justice and things of that nature, kind of looking outward and being more, uh, more of, a, of a community together. But both, if you think about it, if, and pay attention next time we go through an election cycle, both sides, they both root their vision of a thriving society, a thriving culture. They both root their vision in an old story. Like you, you'll hear all this language during election season that sounds something like this. We're, we're walking in the tradition of the civil rights movement. We're carrying on the, the, the vision of the civil rights movement. They're trying to connect it to the movement that, that, was, that really was spearheaded back in the 60s. Or we hear language like, we gotta make, the, make America great again, like some bygone era from the past. Or we hear language like, this is, the, this, is the, this is who we are as a people. This is who we are as a nation. This is the American dream. They put forth their vision. And we hear language like this all the time. What we're going to see as we continue our study, uh, as we're working through the Sermon on the Mount between now and spring break, is we're going to see Jesus offer us a vision of a way to be human, a way for community to work, and it's radical, and it's different. Uh, if you remember from a few weeks ago as we introduced this sermon, John Stott, I think, summarized this sermon really well. He's a British scholar. Here's, how he, here's what he said. He said, the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, it describes what human life and human community, society, what it would look like when they come under the, the headship, the kingship, the glorious rule of God. And he, he concludes, he says, and what would that community look like? It'd be way different than what we see out there. I mean, it'd be a radical counterculture that everybody around would have to stop and take notice to go, man, what is going on with those people, those church people, looks like nothing that either the traditionalists or the progressives, the, the, the Republicans or the Democrats, they can't get a handle on what this Jesus guy is establishing through his community. And just like those stories in our culture anchor in an older story, so does Jesus, and what we're gonna do as we work through this, I'm just calling this kingdom living, and first we're gonna see an old story that's been told in a new way in order to change the world. That's where we're gonna to go tonight. Jesus is gonna anchor this sermon in the old story, but it's gonna be told in a new way with a vision, with eyes on changing this world. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter five. Let's continue our, our study here on the Sermon on the Mount. And when I when I when I say something like the old story, what is that old story that Jesus is connecting his message to? A couple weeks ago, we hit it really quickly, but let me reintroduce it to you because if we don't see it, if we don't understand it, we won't make sense of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's let's rehash it again. What's the story Jesus is connecting to? What's the story of the scriptures? And we begin with God creating this universe for his glory and for the joy of the creatures that he's made, including humanity. And in chapter two, by the way, I don't, I don't think Eden looks anything like this. This is just the worst one I could find on Google. Uh, in chapter two, God invites two humans, Adam and Eve, to come up to a, a, a garden space and experience the blessing of his presence 
there. And here's the point. Go out from here and make the rest of the world look like this. Bring the blessing of my presence out to the rest of the world. And it's represented by this really interesting, the, the, the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it's a story, it's a narrative. It's meant, to, it's meant to get your attention and cause you to think. It's represented this choice that humanity has by two trees. One tree has a, has a story that goes something like this. Adam and Eve, if you trust me, if you obey me, if you lean into me, if you follow me, then you'll have life and life to the full. The good life. And on the flip side, if you try to take power and wisdom and knowledge and the right to define your life and your happiness on your own terms, then you're going to bring a flood of pain and death into the world. And we know the story, right? Humans don't make it but three pages before we see the unraveling as they take power into their own hands. And the story of Genesis 3 to 11 is the downward spiral of humanity into the the abyss called sin and brokenness. But the story doesn't end there. That's not, that's not, that'd be a very bleak story. What we see is God has a strange plan. What will God do? Does he give up on this mission to bless the world through humans or does he lean into it? Well, he has a strange rescue plan. He chooses one man, one family, Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, we're gonna bless the whole world. We actually see this in Genesis chapter 12. The very next page, after all of the downward spiral of Genesis 3 to 11, is God says, here's the rescue plan. All the peoples on the earth are gonna be blessed through you, Abraham. But what we see is Abraham's family, they get engulfed by that same power of darkness and sin. They're not immune to it. And we find them as we turn to the next book in the Bible, stuck in bondage, in slavery in Egypt. But God rescues them. It's the Prince of Egypt movie, uh, the story of the book of Exodus. God rescues them, and he brings them to a mountain. This is going to be really instructive for us when we turn to the Sermon on the Mount. He brings the people of Israel to a mountain. And there, God constitutes a new people, a, a new nation. And through this nation, God wants to get back on track the plan to bless all of the world. We can see it right there on the page in Exodus 19. God, it's, it sounds like Garden of Eden. It sounds like the two trees. If you obey me fully, if you trust me, if you lean into me, then you're gonna be a treasured possession. I'll bless you and through you, you'll be a, a royal nation, a kingdom of priests. What's the point? God brings the people of Israel up onto the mountain and says, through you, we're gonna be light that goes out into the whole world. We'll be a shining city on a hill that all of the nations will see and experience the blessing of God through you. But have you ever read the Old Testament? How good does Israel do at that plan, at that job? I mean, they suck. I mean, they take it hard. They don't do well at all in carrying out what God says and ask for right here. The story of your Old Testament is a story of the nation of Israel as they fail to trust and obey their God. They fall victim to the very same powers of sin and, bro- and brokenness that we see in the world. The same greed, the same uh, ostracism of their enemies, the same hatred for those around them, the same sexual brokenness, the same idolatry. The things that the nations were all caught up in, Israel became caught up in all of them. And as you read your Old Testament, you're waiting. Where is this glorious city on a hill? Where's this picture of Israel finally blessing the nations? It's an ancient story. It's an old story. 
And the Jewish people in Jesus' day are waiting for the story to come to its conclusion. What's the next chapter? How do we get hope from all of this brokenness? And it's this ancient story that Jesus is going to connect to. Look at chapter 5 of Matthew. This is a strange little line, and when you read it, you, you, you kind of brush past it because we're not sure what to do with it, but in light of what I just explained, now look at what Jesus is saying. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the Torah, the law, in its story that we just talked about, or, or the prophets calling Israel to be faithful. Don't think I've come to abolish that. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is the very story that I'm walking in. Jesus is saying, all of that stuff in that Old Testament, all your scriptures, all their symbols of temple and sacrifice and law and all the prophets, all of that, it's finding its culmination in me. So come and follow me. Now, now listen, my bet is that doesn't land on you and I like it probably did the people in his day. I want you to imagine for me, though, so we can get a sense of what this might have felt like for Jesus' hearers. Imagine you're at the 4th of July and some random dude shows up and you got your fireworks and you got your barbecue and there's little American flags and we're singing all the songs, the patriotic songs, God bless America and all that stuff. And in, in walks a guy to your, to your barbecue, your hangout, you got a crew there. And he walks in and he picks up an American flag. The fireworks are going off, you have your barbecue and he holds the American flag up and he says, you see this? Everything this represents Liberty and justice and freedom and the good life. All your symbols, all the songs you're singing, they find their fulfillment in me. So come follow me and you'll experience the true America. Now, if that happened, my bet is you would either laugh him out of your backyard or you would be like, man, get the cops out here on this guy. Like, what is going on? That's the weirdest thing for somebody to say. Jesus says... I have not come to get rid of all of that. I have come to fulfill it. It's always been pointing to me. And we have to get our minds around the radical statement that this is that Jesus is making. He's connecting what he's doing to this old story of Israel. And it's a story to bless all of the nations. But now he's gonna, he's gonna tell that same story and that same vision, but in a new way. Now, before we look at it, just by show of hands, I'm not, I promise I won't embarrass you. Uh, how many of you, I'm gonna see the room here, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand high so I can see. A, a few less than I thought. Some of you don't wanna admit it. Okay, uh, now, you don't have to show your hands on this. Just, just keep your hand down. Uh, how many of you kept them to February 6th? Still going on those New Year's, a couple of you? Yeah, still going? So when we make New Year's resolutions, it's always some, some simple thing. Like mine, for the last several years, I'll give you mine. I did not make mine more than about four days. Okay, here's what mine was. Uh, and it has been for several years. I want to eat better, and I want to get in shape. Okay? It's always, I made the same one. Now, I had, I had a conscious thought about that New Year's resolution recently. Uh, we had uh, several neighborhood friends were over. We had like eight or 10 kids in our house, and I was sitting in a chair, and our kids had got into our pantry, and they had got those, you know, those individual serving sizes of Pringles? They had all run in. There was like eight or nine kids, and they were running out with these individual servings of Pringles. And I'm sitting there in the chair, the chair and as they're coming by, I went, oh, wait, wait, wait. Y'all gotta pay the toll. And so they came up, and I took from each of the children, 
two Pringles from each of them. And, they're all, and these aren't even, some of the, half of these aren't even my kids. Get them over here. You're in my house. Give me those Pringles. And so I'm sitting there with a mountain of Pringles, and I had the conscious thought, I didn't make it very long on a New Year's resolution as I'm just shoveling Pringles. And when you eat Pringles, you always get crumbs on you. And so I've got this Pringles. Does anybody like Pringles now, anymore? Pringles still? Okay, still good? Okay, I like Pringles. Um, when we make New Year's resolutions, we make those resolutions, and it's always, you know, study better or lose some weight or work out more or save money or break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it may be. Um, if, if that was your resolution, you haven't done it. Tonight's your night, all right? You've got, you, it's way too long. It's 37 days. Um, you didn't like them then. You probably don't like them anymore now. Um, but if you think about when we make those resolutions, um, that w- it's always one thing, and usually even that one thing is really difficult. That's why most of us fail. Even that one simple thing is oftentimes really, really difficult for us. Now, I want you to see how ambitious Jesus' kingdom lifestyle how he aims for us to live. Look at the issues that Jesus is gonna talk about here in our passage. I mean, he's going after some really intense things and not just one thing. I mean, he he aims for an entirely new, radical way to live out our human existence. And and notice the list. This list is not, he didn't get up on the the mountain and go, um, you know, all right, here we go. Here's how we're gonna change the world. I want everybody to have a quiet time. 30 minutes, coffee, Bible, and Instagram. In the morning, then you're a real follower of me. And then I want you to get in a Bible study and make sure you go to church. Notice, he doesn't give you a bunch of religious stuff. He doesn't divide out, there's like, you know, my Jesus time, which is the church time, and then the rest of my time. These are all in the real stuff of life. He aims to transform everything from the inside out about how we live, not just give us a bunch of religious stuff to do. Now, I want you to notice the second thing. Look at the issues that Jesus is hitting on here. Look at what he's gonna go through. And we're gonna work through, uh, we're gonna work through the passages in a minute. Are these, the things in this list, not the things that are absolutely wreaking havoc on the human condition here in our world? Your life, my life, our world. Like hurt relationships, broken relationships and anger and bitterness. And for some of us in this room, these are things, that's something that's just wrecked. Relationships with your, maybe one of your parents or sibling or friend. Sexual brokenness and all the effects of it. Divorce. The, the, the problem of not just being able to trust each other, lying and deceit and going back on our word and breaking promises. Some of you, you, you still carry the wounds of somebody that broke a promise to you. Or not being able to extend mercy and forgiveness, but instead always fighting back. And how, do you, how do you handle those that have hurt you? How do you handle those that are different than you, your enemies in this case? I mean, this is, the, this is a lot of the stuff of real life and Jesus is going right at it. So, as we work through this section, uh, some of this might be a, a challenge for you and for me, but I want you to hear. Just like Moses went up on a mountain and constituted a people that, would, that has as an aim to be a light for the world, Jesus is doing the very same thing here. He wants to give you a compelling vision of what it looks like to live a new way to be human. So let's work through it. He starts here. 
This is the old story. You've heard that it was said to people a long time ago, hey, you know, don't murder. And if you do that, you're bad. And Jesus goes, yeah, but. You see, all of these issues are things that the Jewish people had had a thousand years. Yeah, it says don't murder, but you know, we could put all sorts of little guardrails and little ways to get around it, and it can kind of keep me from having to deal with any of the, the root stuff in my own life. And Jesus is gonna go right at it. Look at what he says. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, that's the root cause. The seed that leads to the violence Jesus says, it's the same seed in you and in me when we allow that bitterness and that anger to fester. And sure, maybe the, maybe the, the situation hasn't presented yourself to make it go to violence, but that seed is what I'm after. It's the same seed. Now, probably several of you in the room, you know that feeling of what it's like when you just, that person's hurt you or they've wounded you, and that anger begins to well up in you or that bitterness, and it can almost be physical. You can almost physically feel it. And it makes it really difficult for you to, to extend forgiveness or mercy with that person. Look how Jesus, um, look at what Jesus says next. He gives us a practical application of what it looks like. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. He said, I would rather you, you're doing the, the religious thing, fine. I would actually rather you leave the synagogue, leave the temple space, and go and be reconciled. It's a vision of radical reconciliation that Jesus has in mind here. Imagine it, a community that seeks radical reconciliation instead of letting that bitterness and anger foster. That can, it can it literally end up owning you, that anger. For me, uh, my mom and I, uh, through junior high and high school, we just didn't get along very well. We, had a, we, we think very differently, we have very different values. And when I left for college, I remember leaving and going, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'll come back. I don't really want to come back. Uh, I, I don't, I'm fine not seeing my mom very often. I don't trust her. I don't, I, don't, I don't like being around her. And there was just this seed of anger that was building up in me. And it, 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 you could almost physically feel that bitterness. And it can own that. It can define that relationship. It can end up even owning and defining you. And Jesus says, I aim for a society, a people where that is, set, is, that, that is released. He continues. Since you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, we'll come back to that in a minute, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I got two fears here, probably two realities. I think when we see this verse, some of you grew up in the church, you're from the South, uh, and you see a verse like this, and you just kind of feel guilty. You see this verse, it makes you feel guilty because you're like, man, I, I think I struggle with lust, uh, and, and I, I've struggled with it for a long time. Now, others of you, I think there's a, a large part of our American culture especially, right after that Jesus is gonna say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better to lose one of your members than go to hell. And I think there's a huge part of our culture that hears language like this. And we think, God, those prudish, archaic, backward-thinking Christians, like their, their sex ethic is ridiculous it doesn't compute in the modern world. We've embraced sex. This is ridiculously restrictive from a bygone era. Now, maybe, maybe there's some of you in the room. We all know those people. Like, if you start, if, if any of you went and visited Manhattan or San Francisco or Los Angeles, and you were walking around going, hey, you know, 
Bible says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, committed adultery in your heart. People are like, man, that's crazy. What, what world are you guys living in, you Christians? Now, let me respond to that. Let me, let me give a couple points of response. I think there's a, there's a huge group of people in our, in our culture, maybe even some of you in the room, that when you think of what Christians think about sex, you think that we are anti-sex. You think that we hate it, that we say you shouldn't want to do it, you shouldn't like it, you shouldn't think about it, you should only have it a couple of times when you're married to have babies, and that's it. Now, I may be only talking to a handful of you in the room, but can, can I just respond to that? First, on page two of our Bible, we've got a naked husband and a naked wife with a dude singing a, po- a love poem over her as they enter into marital union. Okay, the Bible's not, and did you hear me? The Bible's not anti-sex. Shall I prove it by reading Song of Solomon? Now, there's a lot to interpret with Song of Solomon, I get that, but when I hear people say, oh, the Bible's anti-sex, I'm like, man, I'm gonna read some Song of Solomon. You, you might, even the most hardcore, progressive, big city person be like, man, I'm gonna blush after read that. Let me just read it. Um, <laughs> let's just read it. How, this is a, a man speaking to his wife as they enter into the bedroom. He says, how beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature, I don't know why I'm reading it like this. Uh, your stature, <laughs> how else would you read it? I don't know how I'm supposed to read it. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. Delightful. Um, we, might, we might actually study this after spring break, so get ready. Um, we did it about four years ago, for y'all, those of you that are in your fifth year of college. Uh, so the first thing we might need to say is the Bible's not anti-sex, okay? Uh, G- God has an amazing vision for what sex and sexual intimacy looks like and what it's for. So that, this notion that the Bible just doesn't like sex is anti-sex. Uh, now, now let me give two, two points of response. If you're in the room and you go, uh, or you know people that go, the, the, the Bible's depiction of sex is way too restrictive. It's outdated. It's ridiculous. Come on. Can I, just, can I give two points of response to that? The first one is this. Uh, the Bible will say that sex is reserved for a covenantal union, a marriage covenant. And inside that marriage covenant, it flourishes. Now, let me tell you what you do when you take it outside of that covenant, okay? Here's what you do. What you're saying when you take sex outside of where God has placed it, what you're saying in that relationship is this. I will take your body, but I don't want you. I'll give you my body, but I won't give you me. I'll be naked with you physically, but I won't be naked and vulnerable with you personally. We'll be intimate with you personally. And when we do that, when you do that, what ends up happening is it stifles, it disintegrates vulnerability. What's meant to be something that's incredibly vulnerable, bringing together of body and person, has now been disintegrated, has been severed. And instead, you're taking from the other person like you would take from a a restaurant, or like you would consume a piece of a movie or a piece of art. You're saying, as long as I get what I need out of this, I'm in with you. But I'm gonna keep my options open. When that happens, 
you will stifle vulnerability because you're always treating the other person essentially like something to be something to be used. You can't be your real self. So if you want to be your real self with another person, you have to keep that covenant. Otherwise, you will always be you'll always be on display hoping they don't leave you for the next thing. You'll hide, you won't put the true self out there. Second reason. That's the first one. The first one is it actually crushes your vulnerability. The second one is this. So much of the pain, so much of the hurt in our culture on this campus is because of sexual brokenness in our stories. So much of the hurt in this room and in my life is because of the sexual brokenness in our stories. The pain of giving your body away to somebody that hurts you later, the pain of somebody who's abused you, the pain of giving your body away and then the relationship fell apart, the pain of uh, unwanted consequences from sex outside of that covenant. So much pain and so much baggage from jumping away from this picture that the Bible presents. So you may not be convinced by that. If you say, man, that's, I, think, I still think it's restrictive, I don't like it. I'd love to process that more if that's you. We all have friends that think what we believe is crazy. So we're gonna have to get used to speaking winsomely to our culture about what it is we believe. Now, let's actually take a look at what Jesus says. It's actually really cool. Here's what he says. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, and we can reverse it, anyone, any woman who looks at a man. Now, the NIV is translating this as lustfully. The, the word is being translated here. We, we, I talk about this word a lot. It's the, word, it's the Greek word epithumia. Uh, the, the prefix of that is epi. It's where we get epipen. It means over or on. And thumia is the word for like heat or passion. Jesus, the, the Bible is not anti-sex. The Bible has, has created a beautiful picture of sex. So the desire to want to get married, to desire to, to, to see somebody and think that person's attractive, to, to desire to have that kind of intimacy, that's not, that's not sinful. What Jesus says is when you have an over-desire, an epithumia, it's an inflamed desire. That is what the NIV's word being translated here for, lustfully. When to look at another person and be inflamed to where you begin to treat them like a commodity, where you dehumanize them and no longer see them as somebody made in God's image. That's what Jesus has in mind here. The picture he's painting is of a, can you imagine it? Just, just think with me. Can you imagine a community where men and women just respected each other and looked at each other not as objects or things to be, to be craving over, but instead, looked at each other as made in God's image. That's the, that's the vision Jesus has in mind. That's amazing. That's beautiful. And he continues, he says, if your right, hand causes you to, right eye causes you to stumble and your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. He says, don't play around. In the ancient Roman Jewish world, there was a ton of distractions, a ton of ways that you could get pulled into just sexual brokenness. The same thing's true in our world. Now, just a hard time out. Just pause over here. I know who I'm talking to. Um, I recognize that for maybe a lot of us in this room, we're carrying a lot of baggage from sexual sin in our past. I get it, me too. If that's you, we're gonna have our prayer corner available when we do worship here in a minute. Our staff's gonna be here at the front. We would love to walk through this with you. When I read this, Jesus did not say this about porn, but 
man, it's almost like he could jump into the 21st century. And I'm talking to guys and girls here. If, that's, if you're in the room and pornography and pornography addictions just sort of owned you, it, for, in my life it began in about seventh grade and worked all the way through high school of pornography addiction that by God's grace, and I mean by God's grace, uh, in college he set me free from. And there's hope for you. Our staff, we'd love to walk alongside you in that. Celebrate Recovery is a great place to go and begin to process your story and be, see how you can get healing in that. Celebrate Recovery is on, uh, on, seven, on sat, uh, Friday night at 7 o'clock. I've been through two uh, Celebrate Recovery step studies, and they really do work, okay? They really do help. There's freedom. There's freedom that can be found for you. He continues. I, I told you it was going to get a little heavy. I don't want to talk about this, these two verses because most of you aren't married yet. Can I just... Can I say something? Jesus, invis- he imagines a world, he imagines a people where the ravages of divorce are not running rampant like they are in ours. My parents divorced when I was two, and my story is set against the backdrop. When I share my testimony or whatever, it's set against the backdrop of that divorce. My wife's family, par- parents divorced when she was eight. We both come from divorce. Our staff team, uh, many of us have come from divorce. I know that a lot of people in this room, it's, it wrecked your family. We would love to just process that with you, what it looks like to, to just have somebody to talk to or pray with you or cry with or whatever that looks like. So don't, don't, please come find us. Uh, Jesus has a vision of a community where divorce doesn't run rampant. He says, you've heard it said... Don't, do not break your oath, but fulfill the Lord with the vows you have made. But then the Jewish leaders had all these little games they could play to get out of the vow they had made. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You know those games, right? Those little integrity games that we all play? Like, you know, I, I can fudge the truth on this one a little. I don't have to be perfectly honest. We all have different reasons for doing it, right? Some of our reasons are we have some people-pleasing tendencies, it's really difficult for us to feel like we're disappointing somebody so we don't say, man, I really can't be there. We say, well, I'm gonna try to be there, but we really don't intend to be there. We have these, all these little games that we play. Maybe you're, you are driven by success and you know that this grade or this next assignment or whatever it is, it, it makes or breaks the grade that you wanna get, but you didn't get the work done. We have all these little ways we can get around our integrity on that. And Jesus says, just, just be honest. Imagine a community where people could ju- just trust each other. He continues, He says, you've heard that it was said, you could take revenge, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But look at what he says. Now, this vision we don't understand because we're not under Roman occupation. Jesus finds himself under, literally under foreign occupiers. The nation of Israel has foreign, a foreign government who has complete control over them. We've got a lot of nation states in our world still like that. And They could abuse the Jews at any moment. They could slap them. They could hit them. They could make them carry their stuff. They could do whatever they wanted. And the Jews hated them. Look at what Jesus says in light of that. He says, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right, you turn the other. If they want to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat. If they want to force you to go a mile, go two. I mean, this is a radical picture of what it would look like to offer mercy when the people that are hurting you don't deserve any. That's why he concludes by talking about your enemies. He says, you've heard it said, love, uh, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What an amazing vision that Jesus is giving of a new way to be human. This is, this is the kingdom ethic. This is the kingdom lifestyle that he's inviting you and I into. And what a radical picture. Now here's how we end. This is not just an ethical teaching. 
This is not just Jesus' law that he wants to give us to make us feel guilty. He really means to change the world. Like, I want you to think about it. Think about Jesus' context as we close. You got foreign occupiers, and you want them gone. I mean, you want a kingdom back. And if you're a Jew in Jesus' day, what would you be thinking? I know what I'd be thinking. Let's get the tanks. How many guns do we have? We're going to go up there, and we're going to march on Jerusalem, and all the Romans we see, we're going to kill on the way up. We are taking back our nation. Get the tanks, get the guns, get the troops. Here we go. That's how anybody would do it. In the 20th 20th century, we saw lots of nations that had been colonized by the British and the French and the Americans and all over the world, and they were, revolutions went out to get their freedom, and guess what? Almost all of them were violent. That's the playbook. How do you throw off the foreign occupiers? Violence. The Jews actually tried it 150 years before Jesus, and 40 years after Jesus, they're gonna try it again. What's Jesus' strategy? How will he push back the darkness, win the victory against the Romans? What's the plan? It's this. This is how Jesus means to push back against the darkness and the injustice in the world, through a people that embody this. Uh, N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar. Just hear how he says it. I think this is so compelling. He says, these sayings of the Sermon on the Mount are about the type of people through whom Jesus intends to transform the world. When God wants to change the world, he doesn't launch missiles. Instead, he sends the meek, the mourners, and the merciful. When God wants to put things right, he doesn't scramble combat jets. He calls people to love and do justice. Hear it. Through these kinds of people, the blessings of God's reign begin to appear in the world. Through these kinds of people embodying this kind of lifestyle. Jesus says when we do this, We're like a shining city on a hill that could be seen from miles and miles and miles around. This is how we're gonna change the world. This is how we push back the darkness through people who embody this lifestyle, through a community that follows and obeys me. Wright concludes by saying this, the sermon was and still is a manifesto for those who glimpse the truth of Jesus' kingdom message and find themselves called to order their lives accordingly. Here's my question for you. What's the manifesto that guides your life? A manifesto is the thing, your marching orders, the, the, the call that you're a part of, your vision and values that give you meaning in your life. What's yours? Your parents' approval? That great job with that great paycheck one day? Attention from the opposite sex? having as much pleasure and fun as you can get, as much sex as you can get, as many parties as you can get. What's your manifesto? Is it just comfort, just to, just to kind of make it in America? If, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, he's inviting you to be a part of the city, the city that pushes back against the darkness. He says, come in, and together, this is how we're gonna change the world. That's your marching orders. That's your manifesto. This is it. This is how he's going to change the world, through this. Now, here's, I got two fears as we close. One fear is this. One fear is that some of you are inspired. You're like, that is cool. I do want to, yeah, that's it. manifesto. That's great. And you leave here and you go, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to be a better Christian. Yes, I can do this. And, and maybe you can for a little bit. 
But eventually, on your own strength, you'll run out. My second fear is this, the opposite. The opposite fear I have is this. Many of you see Jesus' kingdom lifestyle, and when you see his words, you just hang your head. You just think, man, I'm such a disappointment. I don't live up to any of that. So how do we get the strength to do it? Neither one of those will work. How do we get the strength to do it? It's, it's when we see, hear me, when we see that he, he literally turns the other cheek to the point of getting strung up on a cross. Like he is, is forgiving of his enemies to the point where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like to reconcile humanity, he lets the anger and the pain of all that brokenness get absorbed on him so that you and I might be set free. Darkness engulfs him so you and I can be a city of light. By beholding the gospel, it gives us the strength that we need to go out there and follow Jesus. So we're gonna behold him as we sing. Can we do that together? Let me pray. Jesus, as we turn now, would we build our lives? We center ourselves on you and your work for us. You're the hero of this thing, not us. You're the one who has set us free and enabled us to be a part of something amazing in this world. And it's all to your glory. So may we join this old story, the story of creation, the story of what you've made in this world, the story that, that finds its its climax, its fulfillment in you on the cross and your empty tomb, we're set free. May we walk in that confidence. We trust you and obey you as our King. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, church, um, I want to remind you guys, we've got the prayer corner in the back, and I encourage you to take, take advantage of that. Um, the prayer card's back there. You can write your name on them or not. It doesn't matter, but your prayers on there you can stick them in the basket and the, our college staff is going to we're going to pray over those throughout the week and that's going to be something that, that we're going to leave up that prayer corner moving forward um, if you don't want to write it down just you go back there and just get on your knees before the Lord um, but that's that's available to you guys back there let's stand and let's respond and worship this evening Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thy all. Jesus paid it all, and all to him. I left a crimson stain
hear these words I hear the Savior say thy strength small and frail child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all it sounds like the poor in spirits and together we declare followers of Jesus in the room praise the one Praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life from the dead. A hundred billion failures disappear. We walk in the newness of life. So Jesus, we, as people 2,000 years later, we, we continue to sing those words. Our brokenness, you've rescued us from it. You've set us free. You mean to change this world through us. And after hearing this room and just singing those words, I want to get out there and see this world change because of you. And you're the hero. So you get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because you're the only one worthy of it, our King. 
We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, just a reminder, uh, first of all, thank you for indulging uh, me tonight, not getting any prep time. And uh, next week we're off. Uh, and so if you need prayer, our staff team's gonna be just down here waiting. If you just wanna process or chat, uh, God bless you all. We love you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Have a great week, everybody.